Christ is mine forevermore, and uh, what a beautiful song, and what, what greater joy we would have in our lives if we could, could cling to that truth at all times, right? Okay, so this morning, uh, you can turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 14 and uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, if you, if you want to turn to, to two passages there, um, or just Deuteronomy 14, if that's just too much. Um, we're beginning a new series this morning, Living as God's Treasured Possession. You say, well, hold on, Daniel. We haven't finished Deuteronomy yet. We haven't finished the first five books of the Bible. Are, are, we, are we giving up? No, we're not. Uh, this is a, a sub-series of our bigger series in the book of Deuteronomy, which is part of our bigger series in the Pentateuch. But this is a sub-series. It's going to take us through most of the rest of the book of Deuteronomy, Living as God's Treasured Possession. You say, well, what does that mean? What we see in the book of Deuteronomy is that God, first of all, he calls people, he calls people to be his treasured possession, to be a special people, and then God calls them to, to live as his special people. So he calls them, they become his treasured possession, and then they live like his treasured possession. And you say, okay, is, how does that apply to us? Well, if you're there in First Peter chapter 2, we see that we are like the people in the Pentateuch. We have been called to be God's special possession, his special people, and we're to live like it. Okay, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now now you have received mercy. So now, you and I, who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, who have become a a part of his his church, his chosen people, we're we're a special people, we're a treasured possession. And uh, you and I are to live like it. Look what he goes on to write. Verse 11 of... 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they see, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So if you are God's people, what should you do? Live like it. God's people are supposed to live as God's people. Now, you don't just have good conduct without being in Christ, part of God's people, and you don't just become a part of God's people and not live like it. Those things go together. You live as God's treasured possession. And as we're going to go through the rest of the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to see that living as God's treasured possession means that we, we give joyfully. It means that we worship completely. It means that we pursue justice. And this morning, we're going to see that it means that we fight against worldliness, okay? So if you're there in Deuteronomy 14, and if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, this is Moses speaking to the people. They're encamped on the plains of Moab. They're getting ready to go into this land and live in the way that God has told them to live. And here in chapter 14, we see some things about how that looks, You are the sons, this is verse 1 of Deuteronomy 14, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not make, you shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
And the Lord has chosen you to be a, a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. Of all these that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales you may eat, and whatever does not have fins and scales you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones that you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, and the the hawk of any kind, the little owl, and the short-eared owl, the barn owl, and the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, and the cormorant, the stork, and the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, the bat. And all winged insects are unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. All clean winged things you may eat. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns that he may eat it. Or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are people holy to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You may be seated and... Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to know how to live in in holiness, how to pursue you, how to love you with our whole hearts. Thank you for your word. Open it to us this morning. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're talking this morning about fighting worldliness, living as God's treasure possession and fighting worldliness, but but what exactly is worldliness, uh, and, and what has it ever done to us? Why do we have to pick a fight with it? What, what exactly does this mean when we say that we're fighting worldliness? Now, maybe if you're like me, when you were growing up, or even recently as an adult, when you think of worldliness, you're tempted to think of some, some rules that you do or don't do. So, for example, for me, sometimes I've thought of worldliness as, okay, here's, here's a bubble, Here's, here's Christian living. Here's all the, the, the things that a Christian does. And once, you, once you, you're here in this bubble and you're doing all the things that a Christian is supposed to do, and, and the kind of, once you step outside of that bubble and start doing different things, now, now you're worldly. When I was in high school, for example, I had a very kind of clear perception in my mind of, of what a Christian was supposed to do, how they're supposed to live. And so here's, here's Christian, here's Christian knees, Christian world, Christian culture, and how you're supposed to walk and the things you're supposed to do. And for example, one time I went to a retreat with another church youth group and well, we did some fun things during the day on Saturday. And then in the evening we, we sat down and some guys suggested we watch a movie and one of the guys suggested like a, a PG-13 movie, and uh, I said, well, I don't, I don't know about that. What movie? And he told me, well, that's, that's not a good movie, guys. He said, no, nah, we're going to watch it anyway. And so I told the youth pastor, I said, look, I, I don't think this is a good movie for us to watch. And he said, eh, I think it's okay. And I'm like, all right, fine, worldly, all right? You guys are, wor- it's a worldly church. Now, I understand we can, we can relate to one another, but you're worldly, 
Now, how did I know that the movie had bad things in it? Well, I'd seen it multiple times. Um, <laughs> I was offended each time I saw it, but I, I knew it was a bad movie because I'd seen it. But, but I had watched it with my, my friends at home, okay? And in my mind, and, and this may, this, this, it's a rule, right? In my mind, it's okay to watch that movie with your friends at, at home. But no, well, once you watch it with Christian friends at a youth event, now you've stepped outside and now you're worldly. Okay? And I, I'm, I'm guessing that many of us have kind of rules that we, okay, this is, Christ, this is how Christians live. They do these rules, and once they don't do these rules, they're worldly. And throughout my life, I've been told many things are outside the, the Christian bubble, and would, if you do them, you're worldly. So if th- these are things I've been told. I'm not saying I agree. I'm not saying do these things or don't do these things. These are things I've been told. So if you, if you smoke or if you drink or if you listen to rock and roll music, that's, that's worldly. If you date, I've been told that's worldly. If you use bad language, that's worldly. If you read the NIV Bible, I've been told that that's worldly. Okay? Seriously, I've been told that. Okay? Worked at a Christian bookstore. Someone's came in. The NIV Bible, that's worldliness. Okay? If you go to a, a Christian school, and instead of being in the public school, if you go to the public school instead of being in a Christian school, if you go homeschool, like I, those things are, are, and don't engage in worldliness, okay? There are things that we're told, hey, once you, once you do these things, now you're, now you're in the worldliness, you're outside the, the Christian protective bubble, which where, where holiness is. The problem for me has been, throughout my life, I can keep rules pretty well. Okay? You tell me, don't do these three things. I'm pretty disciplined. I cannot do those three things. And yet, throughout my life, as I've, especially maybe in, in college, high school, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing these things that you're, it's, that's supposed to be, mean that you're not worldly. And, but boy, I, I still feel very worldly in, in my heart, Right? In other words, maybe worldliness isn't ultimately about external things, but something internal. In fact, here's a more helpful way, I believe, for us to understand what we're talking about this morning. First of all, we understand that there is holiness, okay? And, and what is holiness? Holiness isn't just, just Christian bubble living. What is holiness? Holiness is about being devoted to God and his glory, and saying, you know what, I want, to, I want to love God with my whole heart and soul and strength. I want to be consumed with the love of God. And there's only one other option for me, and that is worldliness. I can either be devoted to God and love him and experience the joy of life in him, or I can be worldly, which is ultimately about loving something besides God. And worldliness, we know, ends, ends in death. In other words, fighting worldliness, uh, making sure that we're not loving the things of this world and, and instead are devoted to, to God, it is a huge issue and something we need to be passionate about. But here's kind of the main thing that I want us to see this morning. Here's kind of the, the central idea that I want us to grasp together as we come to this section of Deuteronomy. As God's treasured possession in Christ, we want to fight worldliness not with rules, but with a passion to see Christ exalted in all areas of our lives. As we fight worldliness, worldliness we know that can end in death and destruction, we're not going to do so by saying, hey, you know what, guys? Here are the 18 things that we need to do to fight worldliness. Instead, we're going to say, okay, we are going to pursue Christ and have a passion to see Christ exalted in everything. Now, as we do that, 
We may or may not do those 18 things, but those 18 things, those rules, aren't going to be the thing that, that create holiness within us, that help us fight worldliness. We're going to fight worldliness, not with rules, but with a passion, a passion to see Christ exalted in all things. So, with that in mind, let's, let's first of all, we're going to walk through the text and see the foundation for holiness, and, and then we're going to talk about some principles together here as a church. So, first of all, here's the foundation, the foundation for holiness, kind of explained and illustrated. And look there at the text of Deuteronomy 14 with me, if you would, and notice a couple of things that Moses says as he begins in these, these first two verses. He says, first of all, notice he says, you are the sons of the Lord your God, okay? In other words, this is a remarkable statement. You're not in relationship with Yahweh God as though he were some far-off removed deity. There is a closeness of relationship that you have with God. And notice, too, he says, you're holy, okay? And again, what's holiness? Holiness is not just about being set apart. Sometimes we think of holiness as, well, that means you're set apart. And, and yes, it's true that a person that's holy is, is different than the world around them. But holiness is ultimately about devotion, right? Devotion to God. But you're not devoted to some God who is, who is distant from you. You're not devoted to a God who has no relationship with you. You are devoted to a God, pursuing a God, who is, who is your father, he says here. And it's a God who's, who's chosen you. He says, you're a people holy. You're, you're devoted, verse 2, to the Lord your God. And the Lord is, has chosen you. And he's chosen you to be what? To be his treasured possession. So notice the foundation here. The foundation here is one about relationship. <clears throat> you don't do these things and then God decides, okay, you know, um, Israelites, you know, there's like this big contest between all the nations, and you guys cross the bar first, um, so you're my treasured possession. No, it says God looked at all the nations, he chose you, he brought you to be his treasured people, and now that you're his treasured people, now you live in a certain way. That's, that, that's, that's how he wants you to live. And, and look at the examples that he gives, okay? Look, look at the examples that he gives. He says uh, it's going to affect how you respond to the dead, okay? It's going to re- affect how you respond to the dead. In, in verse, verse 1, he says you're not to cut yourselves. You're not to make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. And, and maybe you remember when we went through the book of Leviticus. When we were going through the book of Leviticus, we, we came to some similar ideas. And the Israelites, they're, they're people who are devoted to God, and they're going to the, this land. They came from Egypt. They're near Mesopotamia. They're around the Canaanites. And all of these different areas have these these cultic practices that are associated with relationships with the dead. And so some of the religions that they're around believe that you do some things to send off the dead in a, a good way so they can experience blessing in the next life. And so you give them food and, and possessions so they can enjoy the next life. Some of these religions believe that, hey, you can continue a relationship with these people once they die. Others religions believe that your relationship with your dead ancestors can help bless you. But all of these things, God's saying, look, you, you, you don't, don't do those things because you're, devo- you're supposed to be devoted to a relationship with me, and you're not supposed to be associating yourself with any of those, those pagan practices. And then we also see another example of what, what holiness and, and what, what devotion to God looks like 
in uh, what they eat and what they don't eat. It says, he first of all talks about the animals they, they can eat. And then notice too, verse 3, he says, don't eat an abomination. Don't eat these things are abomination. You say, why some of these animals and not other animals? And the answer is, I, you know, I don't know. Some people have said it has to do with health issues, and other people have said, well, it may have been related to uh, practices of other religions, and they want to avoid these animals that were associated with different religions, and, and there's probably some truth to both of those explanations, but neither one of those, I think, gets the, the full explanation of what's going on here. But he says, okay, if an animal has split hoofed and chews the cud, you can eat it. If it doesn't have either of those things, you can't eat it. If it just has one of those things and not the other, you can't eat it. And then he gives examples, so you can eat sheep and goats and and all those sorts of things. Uh, you can't eat. Um, you can't eat the camel. You can't eat the rock badger. Can't eat rabbits. Things like that. Okay. And then he talks about the fish. Fish, really easy. Does it have fin? Yes. Scales? Yes. Eat it. Okay. Don't have those things. Don't eat it. And he says you can eat clean birds, and then he gives examples of those. And so, again, through this, you're, you're God's treasured possession, and so you're going to live in a way that he tells you to live, and so you're going to, to love him in this foundation relationship, and you say, okay, what does he want me, want me to do? And then you're going to do those things, and the things that you're going to do are going to set you apart from the rest of the people around you. You say, well, well, why these things? Why these animals? Why not those animals? Again, I don't know, but here's what we do know. God said it. Okay, that's the ultimate reason. When God says something's detestable, guess what? It's detestable. And so here in this culture, he says, look, this is how I want you to live. Don't do these things. You don't do them. Their obedience is going to make them stand out. And they, they know that if they were to do these things, it would be an abomination. It would be against what God wants them to do. Now you say, all right, um, is, this, is this applicable to us? Well, what, is, what does Paul tell us in Galatians 3? He tells us that you and I, that you and I are in a relationship with God through faith and that we're sons and daughters. So in Galatians 3, the, the people are saying, hey, uh, Paul, maybe we should pursue God through legalism. Maybe we should pursue him through the law. Maybe we need to... to um, Maybe we need to become Jewish and then become Jewish. And Paul says, no, no, no. You are sons of God through faith. So the foundation for holiness, even though the specific things that the people do are different, the foundation for holiness is the same. In fact, for us, it's, it's deeper because what are we? We are we're in Christ. So the foundation of my holiness is not in the things that I do or don't do. I don't say, you know what, I'm a holy person because I don't use bad language. I don't say I'm a holy person because I don't watch bad movies. What do I say? I say I, I'm a holy person because I am in relationship with God. And you say, well, how do you know you're in relationship with God? I'm in relationship with God through my faith in Jesus Christ. And now that I'm in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, now I do some things. Now I don't do some things. But my holiness, my holiness is not based on what I do or don't do. My holiness is based upon my faith in Jesus Christ. Do, do you see the difference there? In fact, look, 
Let's look at a passage together. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 6. The grounding of my holiness isn't found in what I do or what I don't do. It's, it's, it's founded in who I am. Who I am through my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians is a passage that we use a lot of times. It's that passage that says, don't be unequally yoked. And so, like, we use it with the youth. Hey, don't date unbelievers. Don't be unequally yoked. Or we use it when we're talking about, should I do this business? Well, that person's not a believer. I don't be unequally yoked. Okay, that, those, aren't bad, those aren't bad things to think about. But there, there's so much more going on in this passage. Look at what Paul says. He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 6, 14. But then he goes on and he says in verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we, we're the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So in other words, uh, we are people who are the dwelling place of God himself. We're, we're in relationship with God. We're his treasured possession. We're his people. Now, how does that affect us? It should affect us profoundly, right? Look what it goes on to say. Therefore, verse 17, therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. So notice he's using here the language from Leviticus, he's using the language from Numbers, he's using the language from Deuteronomy to describe how we as a church are to operate. We are in Christ, we're God's special people through faith in his son Jesus Christ. Now what do we do? We live like it. We live holy lives, lives that are devoted to him. Cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I'm not holy because of what I do or don't do, I'm holy because of who I am in Christ, and that affects what I do and don't do. Now, certainly if I, I see sin in my life, and it's, it's habitual sin, and there's no desire to change, and you know, I see a lack of holiness in terms of how it's manifesting itself in my life, absolutely, I go back and say, boy, I, I may not be in Christ here, but the things I do don't make me holy. Who I am in Christ makes me holy. Let's put it this way. Let's say that I had a, a couple who went, was doing premarital counseling with me, right? We're, we're doing premarital counseling. And, and uh, we're talking about being devoted to your spouse, being devoted to your wife. And, and the, hus- the groom says, yeah, man, I, I'm, this sounds super-duper exciting to me. I cannot wait to be devoted to my wife. Have a couple questions. Um, tell me, what can I still do with other women? Um, like, so I want to be devoted to my wife. I'm just curious, uh, hand-holding, that seems okay to me. Can I still hold hands with other women? I mean, like, okay, and if not, can I shake hands with other women, like, for a long, extended period of time? And if I, if I'm at a rest, okay, so I shouldn't, I'm guessing I shouldn't date other women? I mean, probably? Okay, but let's say I'm at a restaurant, and I see another woman I know, like, can we have dinner together? And, and, and maybe, like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe just catch a movie later. I'm kind of a hugger. Um, hugging still, I just, just want, I want to be devoted to my wife. I just want to see if these are ways I can still do these things that I, I also want to do and still be devoted to her. Uh, can, I, can I hug, can I kiss on the cheek? And how long is a kiss? I just want to know. You know what I'd say in that situation? I would look at the woman, I would say, run. Like, run as fast as you, I'm going to hold him down. You 
you leave and change your address and, and have nothing to do with this guy. Why would I say that? He has no desire to be devoted to her. What is he? He's asking all these questions about how he can, can, can still check off enough boxes to kind of be devoted to her, but he has no passion to be really devoted to her. You say, well, no rules then? No, no, no. What, would a, what should a guy say in that situation? Hey, I am, I'm excited about being devoted to my wife. How do I do it? Honey, what does it look like to you? T- tell me, what, is it, what do you need me to do to show how much I love you? Because that's what I want to do. When it comes to God, we don't say, uh, all right, God, just curious, uh, what all things can I still do that are worldly and, and still be devoted to you? No, we say, God, what, what can I do to be completely devoted and, and passionate in my love for you? And, and God's rules are not things we look at as like these legal things we can kind of maneuver to see how much we can get away with. But we say, okay, God, I want to love you. Now give me the rules and the laws and the instruction that, that helps me maximize my, my devotion to you. In other words, there is, for people who think, what's, what's the minimal standard of holiness? There is no, once you've asked yourself, what's the minimal standard of holiness, you're not pursuing holiness because holiness is about maximum devotion to God. There is no minimal holiness, right? By definition, holiness is about maximum devotion to what we worship. Holiness is about maximum devotion to God and his glory. All right, so that's what we want to do we want to be devoted to God and his glory. That's our foundation. And relationally, we're in relationship with him, and we're, we're saying, I want to love you with all that I am. Worldliness is, is anything else. And worldliness is deadly, right? And so we want to fight it. Okay, how do we do that? Let me give you some principles here. Here's some principles for fighting worldliness as a treasured possession. So we're God's treasured possession. How, how do I fight worldliness? Uh, number one, Number one, root, and we've talked about this already, but root your motivation for what you do and don't do in your passion to see God glorified in all things, right? I need to root my passion, my, my, I need to root my motivation for what I do and don't do in my passion to see God glorified in all things. This is the, the foundational principle. Everything, everything flows from this. It's, it's a much more helpful question to, to begin with, to say, okay, what does, God, what does God want me to do, and what does he want me to not do? You know, if, I, if I'd been a pastor in uh, 1400 B.C., and an Israelite had come to me and said, hey, uh, Daniel, you know what I want? I, I really want some pork. You know, I could really use a pork sandwich. What's with this whole no pork thing? Why can't we do that? What's the big deal? You know what I'd say? I don't know. I, I don't know the deal with the poor. I don't know why poor. I don't know why we, we can't do that. I'm not sure. But you know what? It, it really doesn't matter at some point, right? In other words, sometimes, it, like, I think it's helpful for us sometimes to say, okay, why does God want me to relate this way to the person I'm dating? Why does God want me to not watch this movie? Why, you know, sometimes, at some point, it's helpful to ask those questions. At, at other points, it's not helpful. You just need to shut up and obey. Sorry. You need to be quiet and obey, right? 
Just, just do it. Now, again, it's not the rules, but it's saying, okay, God, I want to be devoted to you. Now, now how do I do this? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. And at some point, I need, to, I need to stop arguing and pushing against, well, why would I do this? Why would I not do that? You know what? I'm going to do this thing because I love God. And he said to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust God that what he's told me to do is, is the best thing for me to do, even when it's unpleasant, right? Or even when I don't fully understand why I would or wouldn't do this thing. I'm going to root my motivation for what I do and don't do and my passion to see God glorified in all aspects of my life. I'm going to believe that God knows best how to glorify his own name, and that's what I'm going to pursue. Secondly, second principle here, I'm going to uproot motivations that are based on a love for the world. Okay, So I'm going to root my motivation for what I do and don't do and my passion to see God glorified, and then I'm going to uproot my motivations that are based on love for the world. And I need to acknowledge that, first of all, love of God and love of the world can't coexist. John says this. We've, we've gone through First John a few years ago. First John chapter 2. John says, don't love the world. Don't love the things of the world. If anyone loves the, the, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world's passing away along with, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I need to acknowledge, look, love of the world and love of God can't coexist in the, in the same heart. I can't worship both of them. And I also need to recognize the things of the world, th- those loves are temporary. That's, that's not going to last forever. And I also need to realize, as I think about motivations and uprooting motivations that are based on love for the world, I need to recognize that, that part of my motivation for doing things at times is that I, I really don't want to look different than everybody else. I don't want to be different than everybody else, no matter what I say on bumper stickers and things like that. It's like the people of Israel in 1 Samuel, give us a king like everybody else. I, I, I don't want to look weird, right? It's the parents of the blind man or the man born blind in John chapter 9 when the, the Pharisees come to them and, and say, who did this? And, and they, they ask, ask our kid, why? Because it says they don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. They don't want to be weird. They don't want to be different than other people. The Israelites, as they begin to worship other gods, part of their motivation, look, we, we want to be like everybody else. We don't want to be weird. We need to uproot, uproot motivations that are based on, on love for the world and, and the things of the world that are, that are passing away. How does this manifest itself practically? Let me just give you an illustration from whenever I was a youth pastor back in Texas. There's a, there's a time in, in Texas where, uh, by God's grace, there were some, some neat things going on in the lives of, of, of the kids in our church. And, and, and there's just this, this sweet season where uh, a lot of kids who came from unchurched homes and, and just some, some real broken situations, they began to come to our church and began to see them place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so there was just this amazing kind of revival of these apartment complexes, really just some really cool things happening. And, and uh, the, the problem was that some of the parents who were part of the kind of existing structure in the church were a little uncomfortable with some of the kids who were coming into the church. I remember one time a mom came to me and she said, uh, yeah, I'm really glad that, that we're seeing these, these kids respond to the gospel, she says, but I, I have some concerns. In fact, I have a real, real big concern. I said, yeah, what, what, 
what's the concern? She goes, well, um, I feel like the clothing of one of the girls just is, is really immodest. I was like, that, that's, like that's, your big, <laughs> that's your big concern? She goes, yeah, I just, I feel like, a, like some, some women need to come alongside her and disciple her so that she'll wear the right clothing. I was like, yeah, um, let's talk about that, right? I mean, how, how dangerous would have that been to that young woman's soul if, if that was the type of discipleship we did with her, right? I mean, here's a, a young woman who's heard the gospel. I mean, she was a, a young woman, but I mean, she had gone through a, a growth spurt uh, physically and spiritually, and you know, you, you just... You just imagine someone coming alongside her and saying, hey, uh, I, I know you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but you're, you're really um, not uh, loving him the way that you need to be. Here, here's, here are how long your dresses need to be when you come to church in order to really love him. You, can you imagine how confusing that would be to that, that precious young lady? Here she, she thinks she's loving God and she thinks she's not being worldly, but the person says, no, you're worldly because of this, this external thing you're doing. And I, okay, well, these, these people must know better. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm worldly and I don't want to be worldly, so I guess I need to do these things. Man, how much better? And this is what we did by God's grace. So we did, you know what? We're going to come alongside these young people and we're going to tell them about who Jesus is. And we're going to say, hey, here's, here's what it means to love Jesus. And here's what it means to be passionate about Jesus. And you know what? The other things are going to take care of themselves. And absolutely, when there's sin, when there's uh, things that are clearly in Scripture about, this will be, we're going to deal with those things. We're, hey, you know what? This isn't how a believer lives. But you know what? Um, the, the dress links will follow, okay? That's, that's down the line, frankly, if ever, Right? Depends on who holds the ruler, I guess. What we see in scriptures, look, I don't want to give people a false understanding of what holiness and worldliness are. If a heart isn't embracing worldliness and we say it is, how damaging that is to the soul of a believer. A third principle for, for fighting worldliness is a treasure possession. Number three, embrace a lifestyle that's, that's joyfully and evangelistically countercultural. Now, that, that phrase countercultural, it is, it is abused so often in some very lame ways. Like so oftentimes when we say, well, I'm, I'm countercultural, what we mean is uh, I'm against another culture. So, you know, the, the power culture, the majority culture, whatever, I'm against that, and so I'm pro this, and I'm anti this, and whatever. That's, that's not what we mean when we say countercultural, right? What we mean as believers when we use the phrase counterculture is, look, I'm, I'm, in, I'm encountering the world in my own heart, and that's what I'm against. <laughs> and that tendency in my heart to embrace the things of the world and to live like the world and to live the way that I'm naturally tempted to live, that's, that's what I'm going to, to try to actively reject. And so the, the lifestyle that I live is, is a lifestyle that's marked not by what the world does, but by a desire to be obedient to God. To God, and so I, I'm not, you know, I'm not embracing this lifestyle to be judgmental. I'm not saying, you know what? Um, here's my Christian bubble. Here's this countercultural lifestyle, and 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 you, you watch this movie, and so you're not part of the the, the countercultural Christian, or, or you uh, 
do this with, with your children in terms of schooling, and so you're not part of this. And, and, and you, you uh, I, I, I um, saw this attitude. You're not part of, you're not part of the group, okay? That's, that's not what we're talking about here. And we're also, and I, I'm saying this in love, hopefully, um, we're also not just embracing things as Christians to be weird, okay? So sometimes I think it's like we have this just desire to be weird for weirdness sake. And I can imagine us getting to heaven sometime, someday and God saying like, hey, what's, uh, what's with the wooden shoes? Oh, wooden, no, the culture wears sneakers. I wear wooden shoes because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm holy, I'm separate, right? And God's like, yeah, I, I never asked you to do that. I, there's enough that I'm asking you to do in and of itself. You don't need to weir- worry about just being weird for weirdness sake, okay? No, but I'm embracing a lifestyle that's, that's what? It's joyfully and evangelistically countercultural. It's, it's joyful because I'm driven by a desire to love God, right? I'm saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? That's what I want to do. And it's evangelistic because as other people see us living a way that's different than the way that the world lives, they're going to say, I, I, I want to know more about that. And so a person comes to you and they, they say, you know what? At school, uh, you don't curse like everyone else does. In, in the workplace, you, you don't use the same language. In fact, you've, you've sometimes asked people, hey, let's, let's not use that language here. What's the deal? You, you don't say, well, I'm holy. First, you just kind of need to understand that about me. It's kind of, I'm a holy guy. No, that's, we, don't, we, don't, we don't respond that way. We say, hey, you know what? I, I love God. And, and I, just, I, just want, I just want to honor God with my speech. I want to say, God tells me to say things that are going to encourage people and not offend them. And, and so I just don't use language that can offend because I, I want my, my speech to be used to, to say good things about the God I love. Well, that's different, right? Or a person sees that, you know, you're in a relationship with a, 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 a girlfriend and they say, hey, why don't you sleep with your girlfriend? It looks, I mean, you guys, you got the ways you treat each other and the way that you're relating to one, that's, it's different. Why do you do that? Hey, look, here's what, I love God. And God tells me that this is, this is the way to pursue the greatest happiness in a relationship, is, is to let this relationship reflect the, the love that he has for me. And, and, and I, want, I want the fullness of that. I just want to be obedient to him. Oh, so you think you're better than me? No, I, I, just, I, I, just, want, I just want you to have the same joy that I have in, in obedience to God, right? Fourth principle here. A fourth principle, you need to invite and give loving, gracious correction to help uproot worldliness. I need it, you need it. We need to invite and give loving, gracious correction to help uproot worldliness. Now, how do you do that? James 5.16 says you confess your sins one to another. Matthew 18 talks about this process. Galatians 3 talks about this, this happening in the context of a relationship. What do you do? Well, First of all, you, you're tackling clear issues, right? You're, you're not going to a person and you're saying, you know what, uh, here's this gray area, we disagree on it, but I, you just need to know that I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm correcting you on this, and if you're going to uproot worldliness, you're not going to, you're not going to do this thing, you know? That, that, that's not helpful. Instead, I'm saying, look, here's, here's what God's Word says, and, and here's where you're, here's where you're walking in disobedience, and, and, I just want you to have joy, and, and can, we, can we talk about this? Help me understand how what you're doing is, is helping you pursue devotion to, to God and his glory in all areas of life. You're also, as you do this, you're also prioritizing issues, right? 
let's say that you see five things in my life and that, that are that are concerning to you, and and uh, you know it, it's from how you let's say that you hear me speak very harshly to my children, and um, you know you're also. Uh, I can't think of a little tiny thing, but there's also some very very small that you see going on in my life. And, you know, how discouraging would it be if you came to me and you said, look, Daniel, let me sit you down. Here are five things that uh, I want to see changed in your life. Or uh, just so you know, I've already talked to the elders about these things. And I've got a, I've got like penciled in an elder business meeting in three months to remove you from your position as pastor. Just, just FYI, so you better get to work, right? How, How discouraging would that be for me, right? How much better to say, hey, um, in the context of relationship, in the context of our care group, how can I pray for you? And, and yeah, you know, I am, I am seeing this. And, and help me understand, how, how can I help you in this? How can I pray? Do you see this as well? And you take me to God's Word and say, you know what? I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it the way the Scriptures say. I do see that in my life. Thank you for pointing that out to me. And then help me change here. I'm inviting that and I'm giving that, Right? It also, I think, just shows the importance of, of commitment to relationships within the church, commitment to church membership, saying, hey, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to invite people through asking them. I'm going to invite people to give input into my life. A fifth principle here, uh, I need to accept that there are some actions that are so associated with worldliness and idolatry that, that we need to avoid them in our culture, Okay. I just need to accept there are some actions that are so associated with worldliness and idolatry that we really need to avoid them. Acts, I think it's Acts 15, when the council of the church, they're talking about how to relate to Gentile believers, and some people are saying, yeah, we need to make them Jews, and other people say, yeah, don't worry about that, and the, the council says, you know what, they don't need to become Jews in order to become Christians, but we do need to tell them, hey guys, there are some things that, that you need to avoid just for your witness, and because these things are so associated with, with worldliness and not with devotion to God. Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat things that have been strangled, don't eat blood, and don't engage in sexual immorality. You just, just avoid those things. Okay, those, we're not going to do those things. And I need to accept. I may, I may have, I might say, well, I, you know, I, I, I could say bad words. It's just some letters on a piece of paper or just, just a word doesn't mean anything. Context gives it meaning. You know what? Some of those things are so associated with worldliness and idolatry, better to avoid. I need to be excited about that. Why? Not because the rules are going to cause me to be holy, but because I'm in a relationship with God and I desire to exalt him in all things in my life and doing that would not do so, right? And here's a sixth principle. Graciously realize that what is worldly for you may not be worldly for others. That's hard, okay? But I need to graciously realize that what's worldly for me may not be worldly for others. Now, how can that be? Because holiness is not about rules, it's about devotion to God. And what it looks like for me to be devoted to God may be different in some specific examples than what it looks like for you. Uh, Paul in Romans 14 d- describes this reality. And he says, look, uh, if, if someone doesn't want to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols and they just eat vegetables, you need to welcome them, in, welcome them into your fellowship. But don't welcome them into the fellowship so you can judge them. And, and don't let them, as they come into the fellowship, judge you. Instead, relate to one another in, in love. Don't look at him as foolish and don't let him judge you. Everyone needs to think, hey, what would God say about this area of my life? And pursue it. 
So I'm not letting a person come into the fellowship and saying, yeah, come on in. You know, you disagree with me about rock and roll music. I'm going to let you come into our fellowship so I can argue about how foolish you are. And I'm going to let you judge how wicked I am. You know, we're, we're entering into a relationship, and, and we're entering into a relationship with this sobering thought. I'm not your master. You're not my master. We're both servants of God. And we both need to be very, very aware that it's to our own master that we'll stand or fall. And Paul says, I love how he says it here, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, I don't say, you like rock and roll music? Hey, you know what? To the Lord you'll stand or fall. Subtext, you're going to fall, buddy. No, I say, you know what? God, God loves you. And, and God's going to uphold you in this. This is a gray area. I don't have a chapter. I don't know exactly what. I can't say this is what God wants in your life in this area. I say, you know what? I believe, based upon all your obedience to God in the areas that are clear, I believe that God is going to work in you in this area as he will. And we're both going to stand before God because he's able to make us stand. Isn't that a much healthier way to approach the Christian life and say, you know what, here's our bubble, and here's all the things that we do, and once you step outside this bubble, you know, we're going to get you. And we say, you know what, we are all going to be devoted to God, and we want to see him glorified in all aspects of our life. And we are going, when we see sin, we are going to deal with it in our life. We're going to deal with it in the lives of others. But on some of these gray areas that, that, that we don't know exactly what the right thing to do is, we're going to trust that God is going to work in the hearts of the people we love. And we believe that, you know, I'm here today, and by God's grace, I'm going to be here tomorrow. And five years, I'm going to be here. And in 20 years, I'm going to be here. But by God's grace, we're all going to be on this journey together as long as he allows us to exist in fellowship together. And that's why it's so important. That's why it's so important for you, by God's grace, to be with a group of believers and and stick with them through relationship to help each other grow, right? Let's fight worldliness. Oh, and by the way, also, Paul says here in Romans 14, a huge part of this is I'm caring for my brother. In other words, I don't just say, you know what, we'll stand or fall uh, to God on our own. No, I'm, I'm caring for my brother. Verse 15 of Romans 14, he says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And so, in other words, we're doing this, this walk of, of life together, and I have, by God's grace, the joyful obligation to make sure that I'm caring for you as I live my life of holiness as well, right? And that's such a much more beautiful picture. How do we fight worldliness? We have to fight worldliness because love of the world, devotion to God can't coexist. We need the holiness without which one will not see the Lord, but we fight worldliness, not with rules, not with saying, don't do this, do this, think this, don't think that. We fight worldliness with a passion to see Christ exalted in all areas of our lives as we live a life by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that by uh, your grace we can, can walk in obedience and we can live lives of, of holiness. We pray that you would help us to fight worldliness Help us not fight it with legalism, with, with regulations, with the law. Help us to fight it with grace as we trust in your son Jesus on a day-by-day basis. We pray this in his name. Amen.